Hey everybody, another edition of the 30 Cast, two weeks in a row, Jared and I working hard. Um, I'm Mike Vorkanoff of The Athletic, Jared Diamond uh, is with me on the line from the Wall Street Journal. How's it going, Jared? It's going great, two podcasts in two weeks. Yeah. This is the first. Uh, it's huge for us, and we've got a great guest today. It's a friend of the 30. I don't know if he likes us saying that, but whatever, it's out yeah, there. No. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> Andrew Marchand media reporter for the New York Post, who did a Q&A with us when he was Yankees reporter for ESPN. He's moved on to more exciting things. Andrew, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And, and, and also, I know how strenuous both of you work, that two podcasts in two weeks, hopefully next week you have off. Well, wow. I think it's, it's wow. Memorial Day week. I feel like that's that's, that's <laughs> grounds for, for some time off, right? I guess. All right, fine. Wow. Just taking the easy digs. Easy digs. I'm sorry. We can't We can't all be chasing Mike Francesa news and where Peyton Manning will sell his Papa John's pizza next. There's never been a low-hanging joke that Marshan didn't, didn't grab. <laughs> right, well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Now, nice, nice introduction. <laughs> Andrew, I, I guess let's start in like the obvious place. Um, how has the... Um, re-dipping your toes in the media water has been for the last few months for you? Yeah, I've enjoyed it. Um, you know, it's something that, you know, I think I told you guys about when we did that interview. Um, it's a passion for me for some reason. It's kind of weird. You know, most people would prefer to be on TV than to write about people on TV. Uh, and so I'm a little odd that way. And so, uh, no, I've enjoyed it. Um, you know, I don't want to say it's too loud. It doesn't totally feel like work because I, I just I really like the topic a lot. You know, I, I enjoyed covering the Yankees um, as well, but there's just a lot of things that come along with covering baseball, as you both know, in terms of your schedule um, and just the time it takes uh, to cover baseball. So, um, you know, this takes a lot of time too. It's it's actually much much busier than, than even I anticipated, but um, but it's still you're not uh, flying all over the country. So this is a this is a dumb question, but I'm curious. How have your friends in the media started talking to you differently now that you're liable to be reporting about them? <laughs> Do you have to like manage your friend relationships differently just because you know it's not just idle gossip anymore when you could end up putting something in the paper? Yeah, yeah, I have no friends. <laughs> so that makes it easier. No, I, I don't know. You know, there's people who who I've known for a long time who um, who. You know, we—I have respect for people. You know what I mean? Like that—that's what I try to do. Um, you know, in my reporting, and and so, if there's a conversation with somebody and it's casual, and they might, you know, if they mention something, I—I I, I don't know. I—I'm I, not just gonna go and you know put it on the internet two seconds later. Um, so uh, I just think that you know a lot of reporting is about trust um, with the people that you're talking about, and you know, obviously. Um, getting stories, you know, if you have information, it helps you get more information. Uh, and so, um, so I don't know, the people I, I speak to who are friends, um, you know, they, they know that I think that they can trust me and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna burn them ever. So I guess like one critical question is, um, this seems to be a, a, like a boom time for media reporting. I mean, the post obviously uh, expanded its media reporting, you know, adding you uh, a top, uh, Phil Mushnick, the Washington Post is hiring a media reporter. Um, like, why are so many people interested? The Athletic just hired a media reporter in Richard Dutch. Why are, why are so many people interested in sports media news? 
Well, a couple of things. Number one, you've mentioned some stories, but you know, I've written a lot since I've been covering this for the last three months about Alex Rodriguez and Peyton Manning. Uh, and you just think about two of probably the most iconic athletes of the last quarter century. Uh, so, and they're involved in media. Peyton's not involved, but you know, was was talking to both ESPN and Fox about possibly doing football. So that's number one. Um, just the people involved, and even the you know non-athletes, the Mike Francesas, have been around a very long time. And you know, Francesa um, is a radio legend, so there's interest there. Um, and so, you know, those are that's the first thing. And the second thing, you know, the when people watch these events, it's how they consume them. So, you know, if there's news about Joe Buck, um, you know, people have a feeling about Joe Buck, either good or bad. And so, um, when they they they're interested in reading about about those people. And then thirdly, there's the business side of it. Uh, you're talking about billion-dollar deals uh, that that these um, companies and leagues are signing. You know, just the other day, the UFC you know, signed a new deal with ESPN for $1.5 billion. And so uh, you know, that's a lot of money. And this is it's big business, and it's important to a larger company like Disney uh, when you talk about the UFC deal. And so I just think you, you add all those facets together – um, and others, and that's why there's the interest. Did more people care about the Yankees when you covered them at ESPN or Francesa now? <laughs> it's different. I mean, you know, it's funny. When you when you write about Jacoby Ellsbury and you might write a negative column saying, you know, he's not worth his contract, you know, the, the focus is still on Ellsbury for the most part. You know, yeah, you get some people saying like, oh, it's, you know, lay off him, yada, yada. But when you write about media, it's very – like it, there's a feeling that it's subjective. Like I would argue my Francesa reporting um, was very objective. I called him you know, from the first story and he said, you need to write, Andrew Marchand does not know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and so you know, that was the first article. But it was just a sort of – I talked to a lot of people and tra- was trying to figure out what he was doing. And I had some information that hadn't been reported about – how he was joining up with CAA, which he denied in that first interview. Um, and I called him back again, um, you know, as when he, when he, when he was free to sign with anybody. And, uh, and again, is I think more just factual. Uh, and then lastly, um, you know, when I had the story that he was um, trying to get back into New York radio and WFAN was in play um, and I got him on the phone again, I, I would say that's factual, but I, but that said, a lot of people, and I guess I'm judging by Twitter and somewhat from the emails I would receive, um, you know, they take it as if, like, it's opinion-based and maybe that's the world we live in with Trump and everything that, you know, there always has to be some sort of bias even if there isn't. Um, and so, uh, um, so yeah, so I, I do think it, it can be a little bit crazy, uh, some of the reaction to some of the stories. Uh, here's one. Okay, so I, I think your reporting on Francesa was wonderful and I was reading every – story uh, and keeping up as much as I can and which is weird because I don't care about Mike Francesa at all like I I don't (laughs) listen to a show Um, I think that much of what he says is either like disrespectful to his audience uh, or or the people who want to talk to him and I think his worldview is far different than mine and yet there's so many people who care and get kind of like sucked into this the nexus of Mike Francesa like why do people care so much and would you answer that question in your Francesa impression? <laughs> Listen, <laughs> they care about me because I'm number one. Um, 
I, that's, it's not a great princess impersonation. Uh, it's but, better than mine, so I like it. It's better. If you heard other my impersonations, that is probably the best because I am terrible at impersonations, which is one of the great things uh, for humanity. Because if I was good at them, I'd be even more insufferable. Um, but the to answer your question, though, like I think, and obviously you could answer your own personal feelings better, but I do think the spectacle of the whole situation is probably why it might have appealed to you. Um, and also, even if you weren't a fan, or you know, I know how old you are. Um, you kind of grew up with Mike Francesa in your life, even if it wasn't someone you came home and turned on the radio to hear Mike and the Mad Dog or, you know, just Mike um, as you got a little bit older. And so so I do think he's been a part of your life. That's number one. But also the spectacle. Like I had a retirement tour for basically a year and a half. And then four months later, you know, first off, you don't know what he's going to do. He, you know, and he, he has these big plans, supposedly. Then he has no plans. Then he comes back to New York Radio. Uh, it comes back to WFAN, takes people's jobs that just took the jobs and just, you know, in the case of Chris Carlin, uprooted from Philadelphia where he was having success. And the pomposity of it, I think, is sort of like um, – it's interesting. And so – and I actually kind of argue – I was just saying this to somebody the other day. Like I'm more interested um, in the fact that Danica Patrick is hosting the ESPYs than actually watching the ESPYs. Like I, you know, not, I don't really care that much that she's hosting it, to be honest. But like, if I had a choice of like watching the whole ESPYs, which is boring, um, <laughs> you know, or knowing that Danica Patrick was going to host the ESPYs, I think I'd rather just know that Danica Patrick was going to host the ESPYs than you know whoever you know her joke writers can write the jokes and whatever. Maybe I'll see something on uh, Twitter, or YouTube, or whatever after. But um, which is kind of like how we process sports now too. Like we care more about the transaction and like the the i guess the like the headline of what happens than rather actually watching the event itself some in some way yeah i used to say that at espn that i felt like we should write about everything except the game and that right. that's extreme but like not not exclusive to that like obviously you write about the game in some regard but like you know a site like espn.com they have the highlights with the story right after the game i mean what am i going to describe better that the highlights aren't going to show and then secondly if it's really important, then it's like a news story, not a column off a game, which I think is a little bit antiquated in some regards. So uh, for, for a website, newspapers, it still has some um, some heft in some regards when someone's on a train or something for an hour and then, then you see people all the time just you know reading article after article. Um, but so the answer, yeah. So I, I, think, I think that is the spectacle of, of, of all of it that, 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 that brings the interest. Listen, don't so undersell was, your pros. <laughs> hey, I have a question on, a, on another subject, actually, about another big story in sort of sports right now that might not seem like a media story, but I think actually is a media story, which is uh, the gambling laws changing and the fact that there's going to be legalized sports betting all over the United States very soon. Uh, we've seen in Europe how that has changed the viewing experience on television of, of football matches and other sports with betting there, how do you think uh, this gam- the, the legalization of gambling is going to change the TV experience of American American sports as we move forward here? Yeah, well, first of all, I, I don't think it's going to happen as quickly, you know, because it's you know the, the Supreme Court ruling allowed states to decide what they're going to do. So each state is going to have their own rules, and so that's going to take time. And, and what also is going to take time is for them to get it right, unless there's you know a federal. Um, you know, legislation passed, 
which the leagues want, but I tend to doubt it's going to happen, at least in the near term. Um, so that's number one. But in terms of if it does get passed and they start to do it right, the thing that you're going to see that's going to impact betting is in-game betting. Once they get the online tools down and, and, and if you're in a state like um, New Jersey or other states, um, you know, you're in your house and you open an account, you, you might have to go to the casino or the racetrack to open the account initially, but then you'll have the account and it's a terrible Monday night game. Buccaneers and Lions, both teams are under 500. It's week 15 and it's the second quarter. And you're like, oh man, I wish this game was good. You know what? I'm going to put 15 bucks on the Lions. And then all of a sudden you're engaged. And that's going to change TV ratings, I think, if, if that becomes popular. Um, and I think the in-game betting is definitely something that will become um, a part of our sports landscape uh, because it just has happened in Europe. And, and basically, I, I did a big story about the sports gambling issue. And basically, every expert or person involved in sports gambling, um, that's the first – that was the biggest thing they said was in-game betting. So – and that's going to help TV ratings and – uh, so, you know, the skyrocketing uh, TV rights, they may not be going anywhere because, you know, this is another thing that's going to help them uh, in terms of for the leagues as uh, as they should become more popular because of betting. I, I mean, I look forward to it. I think that I think it'll be a lot more fun, especially when it just stops being like the leagues can kind of stop tippy-toeing around that people bet on their sport. Right. I, I mean, I think there's a level of sanctimony that the NFL will continue to have. Um, as is their want for most everything. But I think, I, I assume that it's just going to change the nature of like so many media companies now, right? Like if they can figure out a way to not only like change the TV product, but you know, the, the product on ESPN.com, on The Athletic, on Bleacher Report towards gambling and New how York to reach that audience. NewYorkPost.com. Yeah, uh, sure. New York yep. Post. I mean, but New York Post has been running handicap lines yeah. for how long, right? Like I used to yeah, read forever. them. Yeah, since I can remember, they've had betting on Fridays, you know, a lot of betting. So yeah, so it's already somewhat positioned to to, to feed that audience. Um, but I think what people are really going to want, in my opinion, is just is somebody who's really good, who has a record that shows they're really good. You know what I mean? Like that's where there's going to be real value in the value chain when you talk about like subscription model, like Monthly Athletic um, or the Post or whomever, I might say, well, like, who is the best, Who like, whose record can we actually check over the last five years? And they have the best, um, you know, the best, the best, you know, the best um, uh, percent, winning percentage. Uh, and, you know, you put that behind a paywall, somebody might pay three to five bucks, you know, besides reading you work. And they, <laughs> they might want, you know, that's kind of an investment that they would have. Um, you can tell your founders that, you know, give me 5% of that little idea I just gave you. Um, listen, listen you can ready. read my I mean, gambling picks. I can't guarantee yeah. any of them will be right, but you can read them. Yeah, no, no, not yours, but just like if you get somebody who's, who knows what they're talking about, which most people don't. That's why the buildings are so big, they say, in Vegas. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's going to change how sports are presented. I was even told that, you know, they, that it's possible maybe the leagues at one point could have alternative broadcasts. Like you see on college football's national championship or ESPN and you know, has on these other channels, ESPN2 and News and Classic. You know, they have like the coaches room and other types of the cool room, other types of programming that maybe they could have just a betting room where you just talk about the betting lines, and, you know, the, the coin flip and all this other stuff. And also the data 
that is going to be that people are going to be able to bet on is also going to probably revolutionize how betting is is done and how many things you'll be able to to wager on at some point. And that's what leagues will probably make a lot of money because they, in theory, will control that data because it has to be official for for really to be an illegal um, venue for people to, to gamble on. Yeah, I'm not going to gamble anytime soon because the casinos always win. There's too many people out there who think this are going to make a ton of money, and they will not. They will all lose. But, but anyway. Isn't that the American just, dream? That's the American dream, exactly. But Jared is like so practical. Everything's so practical. He can't even – did you even do a no-hit pool in the press No, box? I don't bet on the no-hit pool either because I'm going to lose. It's not we, it. Jared, we went gambling that one time when the, the Mets went to Vegas. Remember, we, we bet yes. at the blackjack I, table. I, I think I, you won some I money. Didn't, I didn't – I didn't enjoy it. Too stressful for me. Maybe it's a Jewish thing. I don't know. Um, hey, so you just wrote a story about Derek Jeter and that ongoing saga with Andy Slater. and It's a whole crazy thing. You've also written a lot about Alex Rodriguez as a player and now as a media uh, personality. I'm wondering how you think this has happened. Mm-hmm. We've gotten to a place where A-Rod is a national hero and Derek Jeter is pretty much reviled by everybody the post-career flip is kind of remarkable uh how how has this all happened well first of all i don't think that's true just your premise um i don't think it jeter's reviled by everybody i think in miami he's not that popular and people have seen kind of some of his you know another side of jeter that they don't like but i don't know if the app like the if you polled yankee fans what they think of Derek jeter right now I still think he'd be much, much higher than what they think of Alex Rodriguez. Um, that said, the fact that Alex Rodriguez is, has 15 TV programs is unbelievable. And the fact that baseball has kind of, um, you know, and Rob Manfred, the commissioner, has perched him up, uh, it's, it's unfathomable, really, when you take it back five years or so when we were covering Biogenesis and, you know, and they're just, you know, Brian Cashman was telling uh, A-Rod to shut the, you know, what up. And, and Manfred and, and, and his um, group were going hard after him. And, and A-Rod was lying and suing everybody and not to mention the cheating. Um, so, yes, it is crazy to imagine it. But I don't think that A-Rod is more popular than Jeter right now. I don't know if there's been any – anybody's done any surveys, but I, I tend to doubt that's the case. But I do think – you know, Jeter, he, they, they just have one misstep after another. And you can kind of understand the plan with what the Astros did, you know, down in Houston. But, the, you know, the Astros had to take many slings and, um, and, and, and a lot of criticism as they went through their plan. And here's the one thing about these things. And you guys are, you know, especially Jared, more of a baseball guy um, than, we, than, than I am, at least um, in terms of now. Um, but... There's no guarantee it's going to work. That's the one thing about this tanking thing, especially in baseball. Basketball, we've seen it with the Sixers. I mean, if you can get consistently get a top one or two pick um, over five years, you probably should do okay. But in baseball, it's a little bit hit, more hit or miss. And so um, and even the Astros, they had some misses. So, And, and, I, and I also just think that it's, you know the fact that they didn't really have the financing to, to go in there and, and support the club is really – it's a strike against baseball and, and Rob Manfred to, to allow the team to have it. We know they wanted Jeter, but like they they made him overpay, and they just they don't have the capital. It doesn't seem like to really uh, to really make that work. 
Andrew, I got one last question for you before uh, we we end this thing, and it's something about what happened in the last few days. Um, you know, with the whole barstool thing, with uh, the Washington Post writing about PFT commenter, and then mm-hmm. Deadspin writing his real name, and then everything that else that had followed, and um, everything then kind of just went into like the familiar fault lines of internet uh, talking, basically. And I'm wondering, like, so much of sports media now is performance art is performative you know it used to be i feel like everything was delineated you had newspaper writers and you had tv people and you had um radio gas bags and then you can separate them all neatly and now you know everything's like everything's mixed up and you can't really separate one from another because everyone has a lot of different jobs or or their jobs are so much different how do you how do you cover how do you cover like the media landscape now when you can't be sure who's operating in good faith um, when you might have to make subjective calls, even as you're trying to write objective stories, and, and where do you draw the line between like calling people out for what seems like obvious BS and just letting them kind of get away with it and maintain whatever their performance is? Two question. Well, first of all, I'd argue everything's always been subjective. Like when you go down and write a Nick story, it's subjective in the sense that you're going to decide what's important. So that's, that's a choice. Um, but in terms of yeah, I mean, I just think different places and different people are judged differently. Like, when I was at ESPN, I never really felt like I was doing the same type of job that Skip Bayless or Stephen A. Smith were doing on first take. Like, I just felt like um, – and, you know, Stephen A. is a basketball reporter, so in a sense, especially on basketball, he's, he's held to that standard as well. But, you know, they're just going on and just – you know just talking like they don't really know what they're talking about and anybody thinks that these talk show hosts not everything they say i mean sometimes they know what they're talking about but for the most part they don't really know what they're talking about they they're well read um if they're good and they have their opinions but it's not like they have firsthand knowledge so i just think when you talk about certain situations or certain places like like barstool for example i i know i'm not saying that um you know, stuff they do that is sexist or racist um, or, or any of those things um, are okay. You know, nobody's saying that's okay. Um, and I think, I mean, they, they, they've done some things, of course, that have been bad. Um, I don't know if, for the, if the majority of their content falls into any of those categories. Um, that's number one. But I don't think I judge them the same way as I judge ESPN or CBS um, because I just, I don't know. I just think they're doing a different thing. They're doing like comedy kind of, you know, they're doing satire, um, sort of now again, is it offensive to people? Yes, it can be, but, um, for sure. And they, they've crossed the line, you know, many times. Um, but that said, I just think that if you go to barstool, you kind of know what you're getting. I mean, I don't, again, I don't, I'm not saying it's right. Like, especially some of the stuff they they've done, it really crosses the line. Uh, but in the same light, if I enter that, you know, space, I, I know what I'm getting. So it's, and I, and I kind of feel like the people who do enter that space, they like what they're getting and maybe, maybe it should be shut down. I don't know. I don't, I, I personally think there's room for, not for racism or, or stuff like that or sexism, but there's, is there, I don't know. There, is there, there, there's, there's different, there, there are different aspects, um, of, uh, of how websites can be presented. Um, again, not across the line, 
So it's a hard thing to talk about because even when you start talking about it, then you like you sound like you're condoning something. So to answer your question, though, I do think you, you, you don't treat everybody the same and you have to look at you know what their job is and what they're trying to do. All right. Well, that was it. That was a good answer. That was tough because Barstool is very tough to talk about. Like you said, there's no, I don't think there's an easy answer to how to talk about Barstool. So look, this was great. Andrew, I have one, one very last question for you is this. How do we get you to write something nice in the New York Post about the 30? But I think after this podcast, we did such a good, such a good podcast that, you know, you might want to pump it, pump us up to the millions to read the New York Post. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very tempting um, to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think the best way is I think we had Adam Rubin on a few a year or two ago, and you got him to criticize I don't know what ESPN or something. You make some news, and I'll put it in there. That's how I put it. So that, all right, that's, that's a uh, that's, a, gotta that's a good challenge. You got to earn it. You got to earn all right, it. All so. right, or he, he's laid down a challenge for us. Yeah, we Hopefully have to make some news on the thirty. Hopefully okay. it's good news and not bad news. Yes. <laughs> Yes. And hopefully it doesn't it's involve huge us. Success. The, the 30 is, is one of the biggest successes of the last uh, 25 years in media. Yeah, in the very micro niche media newsletter world. I'd like to yes. think so. Absolutely. <laughs> now, you guys have done well. More than 2,000 subscribers is a, is a big number. And congratulations. That is very good. Look at that. You're breaking news on our podcast about our subscriber numbers. He knows that Clicker knows everything. That's what it comes down to. Well, <clears throat> Thank you so much for doing this, especially it's kind of short notice, so we really appreciate it. Uh, this is another episode of the 30 Cats, two in two weeks. We've done it. Mike and I are going to go take a vacation now. It's so three months. Next one is, the next one is right after Labor Day, they told me before. <laughs> Maybe, if you're lucky. Everyone enjoy their summers, enjoy their Memorial Day weekend. See you in 2019. Uh, have, yeah, see you in, see you in 2019. Uh, I'm Jared Diamond. He's Mike Workinoff. Thanks for joining us.